The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Be Mighty, balancing your money and your time with your hosts, KD Marley. You know, it's a common thought that we can never balance our time and our money. We run out of money when there are still so many days on the calendar. What are some of the ideas and tools that will help us more efficiently manage these two resources? On today's program, you'll learn how being mighty is the result of transforming one's life. One insight, one choice, one action at a time. Now, here is K.D. Marley, which is K.M.R. and D. Lee. Welcome to Be Mighty, balancing your money and your time. Throughout the last several weeks, we have been talking about ways to keep ourselves in balance so that we can keep our money and our time balanced. Today, we are welcome Dr. John Sindorf to our show. Dr. Sindorf is a neuropsychologist practicing in the greater Seattle area of the state of Washington. Psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. He is, a board, he is board certified in both psychiatry and neurology and has a private practice as well as hospital privileges. Dr. Sindorf, welcome to our show. Uh, thank you. And I'll, I, I have to correct some of you know, very uh, nice of you to uh, uh, describe me in that way. I am a neuropsychiatrist and uh, at this moment board certified in neither because I let my uh, certification lapse while I was uh, sick. And so anyway, it's a recertification thing. So once upon a time and in the future, board certified, but in the in the interim, you know, to be absolutely correct, I you know don't want to gild the lily here. So, uh, but uh, I've trained in neuropsychiatry uh, at UW at uh, my last year of psychiatry residency. So I've kind of got a foot in both camps, and uh, uh, so that anyway, I wanted to make that clear. Yeah, thank you very much. So, when you were in medical school, what motivated you to choose psychiatry as your field of interest? Well, I was an older student. I was 36 when I graduated medical school when I got my MD. And uh, so uh, in the last years of medical school, as I'm, we rotate through the various uh, specialties and so forth, I sort of looked at, you know, things that I would want to be doing. And uh, there were a lot of things that I had a knack for, uh, had good hands for surgery, but uh, that's not sustainable once you get to a certain age, uh, just for no other reason than you develop a, a bit of a tremor, and that kind of makes it difficult in surgery, and uh, internal medicine was sort of like uh, Betty Crocker. Uh, in fact, the, the internal medicine people, when I finished my internship, called me and asked me to come back and, and you know, complete my residency in internal medicine, and they, the guy's comment was wonderful. He said, you know, anybody could be a psychiatrist but you've got to be really sharp to be an internal medicine guy. <laughs> and, and I thought anybody that can read Betty Crocker can do internal medicine because you, you go to the nurse's station, you look at the labs, you write the orders, and if you get a chance, you drop by and see the patient. <laughs> and uh, so 
anyway, to get back to your question, uh, so I've looked at all these different uh, things, and psychiatry, uh, which I'd always sort of poo-pooed, and in fact, my best friend in medical school in the first year was going to be a psychiatrist. I had him talked out of it by the end, and he's a cardiologist in Wisconsin. And uh, uh, but it was uh, it had a lot to do with sustainability and lifestyle, or the the two things, because I knew I could do it. You know, as long as they could wheel me in and put me in a chair, uh, and uh, uh, the. Uh, idea that I could go home at night on a, you know, reasonable schedule uh, was very appealing. So, so those, uh, there's, there's a lot more stuff, but those are the main things. And was your interest in neurology part of the interest in psychiatry, or did that come later? That, that actually came later. I mean, I was a biological, uh, biologically oriented psychiatrist from the get-go. Uh, you know, I'm sort of, uh, uh, well, I'm not one of those, tell me again about your mother kind of psychiatrist. Um, but uh, the uh, uh, the neuropsychiatry came about sort of at the end. I'd I'd finished all my requirements in two years, and I had three years of residency. So I went into the director of the residency program and said, you know, I think I'm going to quit, Johan. You know, because I've done all I can do, and you know, kind of tired of it anyway. And he was. Um, uh, Belgian. He says, no, 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 Jean, you don't want to do that. Go talk to Gary. And Gary was the chairman of the department and also a neuropsychiatrist who had published a number of things <clears throat> and was also one of the co-authors on the DSM at one time or another. And uh, so I went to see Gary and he said, well, why don't you just hang out with me and Vernon, who was a, the other neuropsychiatrist in the department. So I spent millions of dollars of other people's money uh, scanning and uh, <laughs> looking at lab work and, you know, we we were doing uh, 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 MRIs and and uh, the uh, PET scans uh, before they were you know beautiful and on you know color paper. So, uh, but uh, uh, at the end we found that it's more or less a, a sort of cut and try. That uh, no matter how good and how many labs we ran and what we scanned and the EEGs and so forth, uh, it ultimately came down to clinical diagnosis and then making our treat decision based on that. People can, well, actually I would say probably most people think that they're two separate things. We talk about a psychiatrist and we talk about a neurologist. So what does it mean to be a neuropsychiatrist? Well, I think it probably uh, means uh, getting back to our roots uh, most specifically. Uh, but uh, to answer your question directly, um, the uh, there really is no real separation. In fact, Freud was a neurologist, and uh, the uh, uh, certifying board uh, for neurology and psychiatry is the same board. And uh, I expect that at some point in the future, uh, the two will merge, psychiatry and neurology will merge again, uh, because there is no real separation. And uh, uh, I wind up doing a lot of neurology and, you know, along with the psychiatry and and so forth. So uh, the the differences are becoming less and less as we become more and more uh, sort of biologically attuned to what's going on uh, in the body, you know, neurologically and mm-hmm. physiologically. But uh, that does not remove uh, the uh, what they what we used to call the supratentorial, which means uh, above a certain membrane in your brain that uh, means up in the thinking part. And uh, having that involved is is kind of a new concept for a lot of people who are doing, you know, pure science. So uh, it's kind of fun from that that, uh, perspective. Okay. Um, Well, that's really helpful to kind of get the the details on that. 
um, we're starting this show with the assumption that our minds and our bodies are interconnected and that if we heal one, the other will positively be affected as well. Can you give us some examples of this? Well, uh, I think that, uh, you know, I can sort of, uh, I guess, uh, uh, what might even be more useful is just to pair it. I recently went to a couple of conferences in Florida, and uh, uh, these kinds of things uh, came up. And uh, the the, uh, psychiatric component, you know, so-called, is found to have a very strong impact on the uh, immune system and uh, actually on some of the other systems in the body. So it's, it's... by no means separate or distinct or in any way removed because it's all kind of hooked together uh, at, at various stages. And uh, I'm just sort of combing my memory, and I'm not coming up with anybody specifically who uh, sort of got better, you know, when one or the other got better. However, uh, what I see is that as the psychiatric part gets better, the, you know, the, the, uh, broken leg that's not healing very well uh, seems to heal a lot better as a person uh, uh, gets better. So, uh, Does that work in reverse as well? That if one is healing the body, that it will also help heal the mind? That's a real good question, Kaylee. Uh, in fact, that's an excellent question uh, because uh, uh, the... Uh, Healing the the body, you know, usually the, the the guys that are healing the body are not thinking about the brain. You know, they're thinking about this system or that system and not so much thinking about the brain. So even though theoretically what you say is absolutely correct, uh, just because of uh, kind of a, I would call it a casual disregard uh, by uh, other fields of medicine, uh, the head part, you know, the mind part, uh, just escapes attention sometimes, and so it's not doesn't get the uh, uh, consideration it should. Hmm. Interesting. Um, is it true that a person can heal their mind, and in doing so, it can lead to healing their body? Do you have any true life examples of this? Um, yeah, there's a person I saw uh, some years ago that uh, had a, a number of uh, physical problems and a number of, uh, I guess you call them mental problems, and uh, and they're sort of intertwined but uh, separate. And uh, so the uh, person was able to, through massage and and uh, and other uh, sort of specific uh, allopathic medical approaches, was able to get the body better. Now. In doing so, his mind, you know, a lot of the so-called psychiatric stuff just kind of uh, spontaneously uh, resolved. And uh, I ran into this person uh, some years later. He was sort of lost to follow-up. Uh, and uh, and uh, But I ran into him, and he related this to me that uh, uh, he had... Uh, Oh, he'd been off on several uh, meditation retreats and, and things that, that, that are good for your brain. And uh, and he said, you know, that was, you know, when I started doing those things and they, you know, got into these massage things and so forth and so on, uh, other physical things, you know, he said, I just started feeling better and a lot of the other stuff resolved. And, and, and then I think he was kind of reluctant to say it, but he says, I don't think I need you anymore, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I told him. That's, uh, that's excellent. <laughs> well, that should be the goal of any doctor, to get the patient healthy so they don't need to come back. Absolutely. Um, our show is focused on being mighty through being in balance. And in terms of the mind-body connection, 
how does being balanced play into this? Well, I think that uh, the when you you talk about mind body balance, I think it's useful to also talk about you know which part of the body, which part of the mind, and uh, the parts of the body that uh, are going to respond the quickest and sort of uh, bear the most fruit in terms of uh, diagnostic and therapeutic approaches um, is going to be uh, things like diet uh, because that's something that someone can change uh, fairly quickly, you know and uh, and and make a substantial difference in uh, both their physical well-being and their uh, psychiatric well-being. And uh, I do have a true life on that uh, gentleman I'd been seeing for some time, a couple years, and uh, it was kind of impulsive, uh, but not not terribly so. Although he was in trouble at work uh, for. Uh, he had FMLA, which allowed him to sort of leave when he needed to, uh, but uh, he wrote on his time card that he had to leave before he killed someone. Uh, the K oh, word, dear. Yeah, the K word is just, you know, that's, it's like bomb in an airport. You just don't say those words. And so, so I had to spend a bunch of extra time with this gentleman. And he's, uh, although working at a blue-collar job, is a college-educated, I guess, if, if you want to call it that. He went to WSU and has a degree, so... Uh, I'm not biased or anything. And, uh, so, uh, so, but he was just, you know, it was like there was a hurdle that we just couldn't get past. And so, uh, one day, just sort of out of, I don't know, not boredom, but just kind of wanted to look for something different. I said, so David, what do you eat for breakfast? And he says, oh, I usually have a Coke and some of those little white donuts. And I said, Jesus, excuse my, uh, uh, expletive there. I said, darn, that's not too good. And so we talked about, you know, things that he could eat that would be good, things that would have some protein. And I said, that doesn't mean you can't have your cup of coffee. It just means that you need to eat some actual food. And uh, uh, to my surprise, uh, this guy actually took it to heart and uh, developed a a much improved diet and uh, noticed uh, substantial improvements uh, on both sides of the equation. So uh, I guess that, you know, in terms of the mind-body, that's one of the body things affecting the mind uh, pretty rapidly. And, you know, I mean, when you say it out loud, it's kind of common sense. But uh, uh, when you're seeing a patient, it's not always the first thing that pops into your head. Well, how long does it usually take for someone to make a change? You know, I know that there's all these different ideas and people stop and start things. Have you seen uh, kind of a consistency on when someone actually starts to change? Well, um, that's that, again, that's an excellent question. Um, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Like with the aforementioned person, um, it was pretty obvious when he started to eat better, there was just a little more spring in his step. There was a little more sparkle in his eye. This was a, a gentleman who, uh, by his own account, uh, didn't do well with people. Uh, he was not a people person. And uh, uh, so uh, to see him... Uh, uh, with his arms unfolded and his legs unfolded, sitting comfortably on my couch instead of such, you know, kind of crouching at the far end, uh, was in itself, you know, indicative of a, a, a sea change uh, in this guy's life. So, yeah. So what are some just really basic diet things? 
Well, I think that, um, you know, you can get one of the leading medical journals, such as uh, Reader's Digest, another great medical journal, <laughs> Prevention. Uh, and uh, I think those, those kinds of sources have very good uh, diet recommendations. And uh, I, I suggest that people make small changes uh, at a time, gradually. You know, that uh, if you make a whole bunch of changes at once, it's very hard for people to keep up with that, as uh, all of us that have started exercising and then not continued. Uh, know that, you know, make it, if you make too big a change, it's just hard to sort of integrate that into your life. If you make a small change, uh, such as uh, maybe having some boiled eggs instead of some of those white sugary donuts, uh, you know, those kinds of changes are fairly easy to, to integrate. And then from that, you know, more and more and more. So finally the guy's eating remarkably healthy. And his wife is thrilled because she doesn't have to buy, you know, a separate bunch of junk food for him. And, uh, um, I mean, the white donuts was just, that was the, the good part. Um, <laughs> I left out the other stuff. <laughs> Does a, a disruption in the biorhythms um, disrupt the mind and the body balance? Oh, sure. That's the, you know, it's certainly the, the, the thing that most people are familiar with or the thing that the most number of people are familiar with is the circadian rhythm disturbance, uh, which is uh, uh, related to day length and uh, exposure to sunshine and, and so forth. Um, and uh, the uh, circadian rhythm can pretty easily be disrupted uh, by uh, uh, you know, shift work or, uh, well, up in this part of the country, just the changing of the seasons uh, changes day length hugely. And uh, my business increases a lot in the fall. And uh, so, uh, yeah, the circadian rhythm is probably the most common, uh, but there are a number of other uh, uh, biorhythms, uh, so-called, uh, that if they're not... Uh, sort of doing what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it uh, can can lead to issues. It's time now for a commercial break, and don't go away. When we come back, we're going to talk with Dr. Sendorf about the mind, the brain, and the body. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
You are listening to Be Mighty, Balancing Your Money and Your Time with Katie Marley. To reach the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send us an email to b-myte at b-myte.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome. Welcome back to Be Mighty, Balancing Your Money and Your Time. We've been talking with Dr. Sindorf about the connection between the mind and the body. Now I'd like to get more specific about that connection. Um, sometimes it feels like the mind and the body are two separate systems, but I know they're not. What are good habits to have that will help somebody keep their mind and their body in balance? Um, well, the two things that I think are the most important uh, are, are sleep and diet. Uh, making sure that you have appropriate sleep, uh, the number of hours, and the quality of sleep as well. Uh, that, that for sure is, is hugely important uh, in terms of, you know, uh, body uh, taking care of the mind, so to speak. And now, when, you know, it's so obvious that, you know, um, well, hopefully it's obvious. Uh, and then the, uh, the other being diet, uh, you know, just because, uh, well, the, the person I mentioned, and uh, just, you know, switching from having candy corn at dinner to having real corn uh, could make a big difference in some people. And that could be the first step in, a, in an ongoing uh, change process. Well, habits are always very interesting because when someone has one, they may not know it is good or it is bad. When someone is actually healed, um, if they are healed, uh, how would somebody know that they're either healed in the mind or the body or both? Well, uh, to, to reference uh, the gentleman I spoke of earlier, um, he, uh, as his diet changed, you know, was, uh, as I say, it was, you know, uh, pretty obvious to a third-party observer who had been observing him for a while. Um, but uh, uh, what he said was that uh, when he changed his diet and after, and he went through what a lot of people describe as the flushing of toxins, and nobody's ever been able to tell me which toxins they are, what the names of them are. They're just toxins. And, uh, but, but anyway, he, uh, he had some toxins, and once those were kind of flushed out, uh, he, could, he, he said, you know, I feel different. I'm a different person. And uh, he began to get along better with his wife and his two grown sons. And uh, at work, he became, you know, people would ask him if there was something wrong because he was, like, talking to other people and things. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. So what role does belief or faith have in healing a person's mind or body? Uh, Probably 99%. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll sort of uh, 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 be a little more explicit. Uh, the uh, ask that question again, Kelly, because I want to hear the the phrasing again. I'm sorry. What role does belief or faith have in healing a person's mind or body? Okay, uh, good. Um, the the thing that that makes medicine work or, or not work, uh, I refer to it as the magic. Uh, some people call it the placebo effect. Uh, you know, the 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 beliefs about a particular uh, treatment, whether it's uh, naturopathic or allopathic or osteopathic or you know some other pathic, uh, the the person's belief makes. Uh, 
pretty much all the difference. Uh, and I, I have an example. It, it actually came out of uh, sort of something that was a little bit on the questionably ethical side. But I had noticed, I tried to, when I started in practice, I tried to be very explicit about all the side effects. I go through them chapter and verse. But what I noticed is that people would have those side effects. So one day I was seeing a guy, and we started a new med, and I said, now, now be careful, because this medicine sometimes makes people's teeth itch. And he says, okay, I'll watch for that. And when he came in the next time, I swear to goodness, he was scratching his teeth with his fingernails and saying, yeah, I know what you mean, man, it, it, it was something. And... Uh, <laughs> Well, there is no nerves in the teeth, so you know they don't have anything to itch with. Uh, now they've got roots that have nerves, but the upper part doesn't. So, um, so th- that was a real clue that belief, because that was what he be- expected to happen. Um, and uh, by the same token, if you say this medicine is not worked in you know but a few percentage of people, um, and you're not very special either. Uh, I mean, <laughs> almost certainly it's not going to work. Um, I, you know, I see medicine all the time uh, that, you know, works well for people for all the wrong reasons. Uh, because, what do you mean? Well, a medication is prescribed for uh, uh, one thing uh, and uh, is actually, you know, a, a treatment for something else. But because the person, the, the provider, whoever prescribed it, and the patient both have really strong belief that this is going to make a big difference, it does. Uh, like I say, for you know all the wrong reasons, you know, but the the answer is right. You know, the guy got better. So, and uh, I see that all the time. And I think that uh, uh, as we uh, we being providers, as we advance in uh, sort of experience, and I'm not going to use the A word, but uh, we are sort of our stick becomes better, and so so we're able to sort of translate more of that magic um, uh, to the patients, and uh, so I, I think it's hugely important. You know, the, the the inverse of that is if you look at any study that's been done that was placebo controlled, there was some response to placebo. Uh, whether it was a psychiatric issue or blood pressure or even, you know, oncology studies, uh, uh, people respond to placebo. So clearly there is something going on more than just, you know, it's in your head because the tumor doesn't care what's in your head. Uh, but uh, if a person believes that that's going to shrink the tumor some, uh, often, or not often, but uh, some percentage of the time it does. Uh, like I say, for for no reason that's expli- explainable. Uh, someday we'll know a little bit more about it, hopefully. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, and I know this is confusing, too, where um, there's two words, brain and mind. Is there a difference? And if so, what is it? Because that can be uh, you know confusing to people, I think. Um, I think probably the main difference is one of them you can lose, the other one's stuck on you, the, that being the mind. <laughs> that's pretty clear. <laughs> uh, you know, and I, but, uh, you know, that's kind of silly to say, but I think that uh, the ramifications of that are, are uh, a lot more uh, truth than poetry there because the, the mind is uh, kind of the, the be here now and the brain is the, uh, 
the physiological uh, part of that where it's sort of the substrate or uh, I guess maybe you might call it the hardware uh, that the mind operates in, the mind being, you know, all of those, well, the zillions of things that are in your brain, the memories and, the you know, all the losses and the wins and all the things that have happened in your life that are somewhere recorded in your brain are actually part of your, they were put there by your mind. So does that make sense? Then? Yeah. yeah. And... That actually kind of leads into our next question where we're going to talk about the brain as the hardware and the mind as the operating system Um, because, of course, we have to have a computer analogy here. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) So if the mind is out of balance in some way, how does this affect the brain functions? Well, uh, pretty clearly, if there's some uh, disruption to normal cerebral, you know, to brain function, uh, that's going to kind of knock things off kilter some. Uh, that being said, the brain has a wonderful capacity for uh, uh, plasticity or uh, uh, it is able to reroute signals uh, to uh, uh, do what it needs to do. Uh, even in different parts of the brain, so uh, which uh, unfortunately our computers can't do yet. Uh, but uh, so there are people that have lost significant parts of their brain uh, who actually uh, you couldn't tell it from their minds until I take their hat off. You see that half of their skull is missing. Uh, that uh, you wonder, wow, hmm, well, that kind of blows a hole in that theory. You know that you have to have all your brain to have all your mind, which is, uh, as it turns out, it's not correct. Hmm. Okay, so that's the brain functioning function affecting or having. I guess what I'm trying to get at here is the relationship of the the brain with the mind. If there's a problem with the mind, is it going to affect how the neurons work in the brain? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely, and and uh, yeah, and I think you're you're right on, uh, Kaylee, because uh, uh, depression, anxiety, you know, some of the more common, well, and even the less common psychiatric issues, uh, 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 sometimes originate in the mind. Uh, so a person who is working a horrible shift and eating chocolate or white donuts, even chocolate donuts before work is their <laughs> main, main nourishment and uh, so forth, uh, they are uh, they're a setup for depression and or anxiety just because their body doesn't have the nutrients to make the neurotransmitters and so forth and so on. And so the uh, uh, part of the... The, the mind that's affected by the body is that part so that uh, the depression may worsen uh, and that may make the person as I said earlier about the immune system it also affects the circulatory system, the, the blood vessels uh, particularly the veins uh, tend to operate a bit differently uh, under certain uh, mind influences uh, so there is a lot of things that the, the mind influences downstream if, if, that was, if I understood your question correctly yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes, you did. Um, when challenges with stress and feelings like you were discussing with someone that has different emotional challenges are induced by a chemical reaction in the brain, uh, it's almost like something going into overdrive, what would be a good way for our listeners to hit the reset button? Well, um, I think one of the 
the the easiest and uh, uh, I think also uh, uh, and possibly um, more effective. I'm not going to say most because I don't think anything is most effective. Uh, is uh, the concept of ten deep breaths. Now that sounds you know ten deep breaths. Anybody can do that. But if you sit down in a quiet place uh, with no disturbance, even you know sitting on the commode and locked in the company bathroom for a few minutes, 10 deep breaths, uh, and uh, I recommend some kind of a mantra, mantra, uh, you know, in goes the good, out goes the bad, or, you know, whatever their particular stressing thing may be, you know, in goes the good, out goes the frustration with my boss, and so forth. And uh, those 10 deep breaths uh, have a remarkable capacity Two, as you say, hit the reset button. And uh, uh, one of my favorite stories on that is I, I occasionally, when someone is, I think, going to be a real good candidate for that, I'll write out a hard copy prescription for them, you know, prescribing, you know, 10 deep breaths twice a day. And uh, I did that for a, a woman. She, she was in her late 60s, and, and she had... Uh, uh, been not able to work due to disability, which was related to anxiety. So I put her on the 10 deep breaths twice a day, and uh, uh, she was kind of off and on about how it was working. But then one day she came in and she says, you know, I hope you're not mad at me. I was going to have lunch with my old boss, and I saw my ex-husband, so I just freaked out. And I took 10 deep breaths outside of what you had prescribed. I hope that's okay. <laughs> so so there was someone who truly believed in, you know, uh, to get back to that belief issue, she believed in the efficacy, you know, the ability of those 10 deep breaths to sort of put her in a different space. So did she start um, working for her old boss and get back together with her ex? <laughs> no, the, the ex thing was probably, that was a good thing. And uh, uh, she was she was uh, at retirement age in any case, so it was kind of a, a, a two-way deal. And uh, they uh, basically gave her a pension and, and uh, you know, wished her good luck. Uh, but she was, uh, even now, not working is just not in the cards. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the most common things that can disrupt the balance in the mind and the body? Um, Well, just about any kind of change in your life. Uh, Human beings tolerate transitions fairly poorly. In fact, amoebas tolerate transition fairly poorly. Uh, It's just a natural uh, aspect of all life, as far as we know, that if there is a transition, that puts a stress on the the entity, whether it be a human being or an amoeba. And uh, for human beings, uh, winning the lottery, getting divorced, uh, it hurts me to say it out loud, but loss of a child, uh, those kinds of things apply huge stresses. And uh, there's actually a a, a psychiatrist uh, in our department at UW uh, some years ago who uh, sort of wanted to answer this question more specifically. And he uh, went through all the sort of uh, usual stresses that a human being might be uh, uh, exposed to, such as winning the lottery, getting divorced, getting married, birth of a child, death of a all these different things. And he uh, gave numerical values to those. And uh, you'll not be surprised to hear that losing a child was was at the top, but things like winning the lottery, which you'd think would be, you know, wonderful, was actually way up there in terms of the 1 to 100 scale that he formulated. Uh, 
So any time there's a transition, that's going to be the, the key that sort of knocks people uh, for a loop. And the transition can be, be real subtle, uh, such as the mailman coming at a different time of day. It's like, whoa, what's going on here? You know, and if going to pick up the mail has been a big part of your life, you know, say you're disabled or laid up at home or not. Uh, if the mail's not there when you go to get it, uh, that can be a kind of a upsetting uh, circumstance just because you're used to it, you're familiar with it being the old way. And so those transitions are just, uh, like I said, they can be very subtle. Uh, and sometimes people don't recognize them as transitions uh, or as even as stresses or anything along those lines until we start to talk about these things. And then a person says, yeah, it really irritated me. The mailman, you know, not come, you know, and it's a new mailman, too, you know. And uh, so this person was pretty upset about the whole thing. But hadn't really it hadn't really registered even as a transition until we started talking about things. And he was pretty stable otherwise, uh, but then, you know, started talking about sort of the more peripheral parts of his life, such as going to get the mail, and uh, that just popped out kind of spontaneously. So uh, so that's kind of a long way to, to provide a short answer. It's time to pause for commercials now. When we come back, we'll continue doc- talking with Dr. Sindorf about the connection between the mind and the body and some of the challenges that we can have there. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Be Mighty, Balancing Your Money and Your Time with Katie Marley. To reach the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's one 888 346-9141. You may also send us an email to b-myte at b-myte.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to Be Mighty, Balancing Your Money and Your Time. We've been talking with Dr. Sindorf about the connection between the mind and the body. Sometimes things can happen that throw off the balance between the mind and the body. Um, with some of these things um, being various emotional conditions that affect the health, um, how does that really affect the or what, the actual health of the 
person if the mind is out of balance? Well, as, as I mentioned earlier, uh, it's been well documented for many years, actually, uh, that uh, depression has a deleterious effect on the immune system. And in fact, Dr. Holmes, when he did his study of uh, and ranked the various stresses, um, uh, found that the, the higher your sort of overall stress number was, uh, the more likely you were not only to, to you know, have uh, uh, develop a mental issue, uh, you know, fill in the blank for whatever variety, uh, and also car wrecks, uh, more likely to have uh, other disruptions in their life, uh, you know, interpersonal issues and different things that uh, sort of spring from those, you know, sort of more stress breeds more stress, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Um, I wanted to follow up, too, a little bit of what we were talking about, changes in a person's life. And we talked about some changes that are obviously really big changes. Is it possible that just an accumulation of these small, we would think very minor changes, can throw somebody off? Oh, sure, absolutely. Like I was saying earlier, just, you know, even the mailman changing the time of day that he comes or, or a new mailman can can be, a, uh, for some folks, uh, an intolerable stress that uh, kind of uh, just messes them up. And uh, they come in and, you know, they've been pretty stable for a long time, uh, if not forever. And uh, so we start talking and that, you know, there's no obvious, you know, it's not like a, a significant other person died or their pet, their dog ran off or any, you know, thing that you would think mm-hmm. of. Uh, and, uh, I mean, who would think that the mailman, you know, coming at a different time of day would be, you know, sufficient transition to, you know, throw somebody out of kilter, but it can. So if someone suffers one of these mental or emotional, I guess you could also put it that way, challenges, you've established earlier that that will affect their body, will affect their immune system. How is there any way that that person can reduce the negative effect on their body? Well, I think that uh, some of the uh, sort of, I guess the I'm not an expert in mindfulness, so if I uh, overstep my bounds or understep, uh, please forgive me. Uh, but I think that uh, some of the mindfulness things, focusing on positive things, uh, as I say, the deep breathing, uh, uh, reframing the stress in a way that, that reduces the stress substantially. So uh, the mailman example, uh, for example, uh, once we talked about, well, the Postal Service has got to make a buck and they're not making a buck, so maybe they thought the change in, you know, mail, mail delivery times was going to be, you know, more uh, advantageous financially uh, to the Postal Service. And uh, the guy said, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, okay, I get it. Well, I'm, I'll get to know the new mailman. So uh, it, was, it was something, like I say, something fairly trivial that pushed this guy into some depression, and uh, it was something fairly trivial uh, in, in an external person's mind, uh, they sort of pulled him out of it. But uh, to uh, uh, someone who didn't spend some time with this person and sort of uh, get down to the more subtle issues, uh, it would just be this guy has depression for some reason. Hmm, interesting. Are there specific symptoms that our listeners should be aware of that should lead them to seek the kind of help that you can give on any of these different levels? 
Well, I think sleep disturbance is the, probably the, the, the primary thing that uh, 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 happens when someone has uh, an emotional upset, to use the word. Uh, and uh, sleep disturbance is, is the, the most common. Uh, people may have difficulty falling asleep or difficulty staying asleep, or they may find themselves waking up an hour or two before the alarm and not being able to go back to sleep. So those kinds of, of uh, the onset of, of sleep disturbance or sleep irregularities that are different from the person's usual habits uh, is a, a real important sign. Also, uh, sort of the, the, the joy... Uh, not that that's a real strong clinical work, but uh, the joy that people get from just normal life things, such as uh, seeing the grandchildren, uh, taking the boat out, uh, going to the mall, uh, buying a new pair of shoes, you can sort of figure out which genders I'm referring to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to be, be, make sure there's equal time for both. Uh, but uh, so uh, I think that... that uh, you know, those kinds of things, you know, can have that effect. Hmm. So the other, um, there's a syndrome that came up um, is insufficient reward syndrome. Can you explain that a little bit and fine-tune and fine it a bit and how it would affect uh, both the mind and the body? Okay, that, that's a, a, a fair question. Um, we believe that the reward system uh, is uh, situated uh, in a certain area of the brain, and don't ask me the specific anatomy because uh, I can't remember the exact words, and um, you wouldn't understand, so I'll just keep them to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Medical school was a long time ago. Um, but, but to answer your question specifically, uh, the reward system is thought to be mediated by dopaminergic uh, neurons, that, uh, that being neurons which primarily uh, are communicating with other neurons uh, via the neurotransmitter dopamine. And there are uh, billions, if not trillions, of sort of normal neurons uh, that use the other neurotransmitters. Uh, there is only a hundred thousand, uh, or maybe a little more than that, of the dopaminergic neurons, and they are uh, again associated with the uh, so-called reward system. And that's the, the the thing that gives you that pleasurable feeling. Uh, well, any time you have a pleasurable feeling. Uh, Usually the dopaminergic system is involved at some level, and obviously the more pleasurable, the more dopamine. And, uh, uh, you know, we can think of, you know, possibly the most pleasurable things in our lives, and uh, they had uh, a, a good feeling that just, you know, was sort of, uh, ooh, this feels good. Uh, and uh, that very likely was a release of some dopamine. And uh, when people do stimulants, methamphetamine or the other cocaine, uh, that's what is being released is a, a kind of a flood of dopamine into the brain uh, as opposed to the very discreet release uh, that normally happens. And unfortunately, there are some drugs uh, that, that fry the dopaminergic neurons. So those people are just, they've, they've sort of done it to themselves, uh, in essence, uh, given themselves the insufficient reward uh, syndrome, uh, uh, not knowingly, I'm sure, but um, that's, that's one of the things that can happen. So if somebody has taken these drugs and kind of fried out the systems as, or the, the neurons, as you were saying, is this reversible? Well, the, the sort of the dogma uh, 
has been and, and still remains in some corners, uh, the idea that uh, you've got all the brain cells you're going to get and that's the end of it and they don't reproduce or grow or anything like that. Uh, once we had better instruments, that turned out to be uh, not quite the whole story and it turns out that neurons do regenerate and they do grow, uh, but at a, at a fairly slow rate. So to answer your question, if a person, you know, sort of right then and there uh, gave up, you know, all the illicit substances and all of the stimulants and so forth, uh, it's likely uh, that there would be some regeneration of those dopaminergic neurons because it would be unlikely for a person to be able to to uh, kill all of them. Uh, so there will be some left, and, and uh, so there will be, you know, ongoing regeneration. Now I'm talking about years or even decades, you know, before that becomes a, you know, a, a clinically meaningful effect. So it's not something that if you quit quit drugs, you'll be better by next month. Okay. Um, well, going back, I mean, con- kind of continuing on this, when you were talking about the dopamine just high, is this where the runner's high comes from? Yes, ma'am. So, okay, we're talking about the runner's high and that it has to do with the dopamine. Mm -hmm. So what is it that runners do to get that as compared to somebody who's maybe doesn't like to run but does it every once in a while but never experiences that? What makes the difference? Well, a runner, uh, in addition to the the dopamine high, which uh, usually comes after uh, the person has been uh, sort of developed that bird look in their face that you know they're a chronic runner, uh, that they've lost a lot of weight. And for some reason, people, a lot of people tend to look bird-like when they lose a lot of weight off their faces. So, but... But by the time they've developed that, they're getting the runners high. Now, at the same time they're doing that, there are uh, the uh, uh, synthetic opiates, or not synthetic, but the, the alternate opiates, you know, the endorphins uh, that people speak about, and other things uh, that are happening uh, that have been happening, and uh, the endorphins uh, can help suppress uh, uh, pain uh, to some degree, uh, although not enough of a degree to keep me running, but um, uh, that that uh, is part of it. And then the runner's high part is sort of on top of all of that, and it's uh, in some ways uh, secondary, I guess you would say, to all of these other things that are going on, sort of like the brain takes uh, uh, inventory and sees that the endorphins are flowing and that the cortisol is doing what it's supposed to do and the thyroid's cooking along and so forth, and it says, oh, okay, well, let's kick some dopamine up and give this guy a reward. So, okay, we talked about trying to reverse it, um, that it's possible but difficult to do. Um, So with all the drugs out there with people on drugs... Um, do you have any kind of uh, concept of um, what are the ultimate challenges from a society um, or suggestions for how to, um, as a society, focus? Well, that, that's, a, that's a gigantic question. Uh, and uh, uh, as far as I know, uh, nobody with the authority to do anything about it has a clue. <laughs> and uh, so I, I think that pr- 
probably there are societal things that could be done, uh, but they require kind of a retooling of our whole whole society, our whole culture, uh, in essence, uh, which uh, is not going to happen because see above discussion about transitions being so difficult. Uh, mm-hmm. Those kind of societal and cultural transitions uh, are enormous uh, to. Uh, and, you know, I think the Scandinavians are probably one of the better examples because they are so, uh, I would almost call it a, uh, OCD, about record-keeping on their citizens so that they know from the day they were born till you know, they pass away, you know, what their life was like from a, a medical and a psychiatric perspective. Uh, so, uh, and uh, even a country as well organized as Sweden is they still have their meth addicts and their, you know, their petty robbers and, and so forth. Um, so clearly it doesn't, it, you know, they're not all the way there. And so if folks that organized uh, are not able to pull it off, I think a, a bunch of rowdies like the United States is very unlikely to be able to, to pull it off. Well, let's, let's pull it back here. Um, one of the things we've been doing in each show is asking our expert, what is one thing? that our listeners can do on a daily basis to be able to heal the mind, heal the body? Ten deep breaths twice a day. And don't eat any, <laughs> don't eat any white sugary donuts for breakfast. <laughs> I, I think that, you know, it, it, I'm not, well, I'm being silly, but uh, uh, so, but that would be my answer regardless, uh, because I think uh, the, the 10 deep breaths twice a day, and uh, it, it's uh, more more trying than it sounds, uh, because doing it the first day is fine. The second day, oops, you missed the afternoon, but you got the morning one. Uh, but the next day, oh, well, I'm busy all day, you know, and it just kind of slips by. So it's, it's uh, it requires a change uh, to to some degree of, you know, sort of selecting the spot and the time and so forth to, to be able to do it. Um, and uh, by the same token, you know, I think the second most important and sort of co-most important, if you will, uh, is the dietary component. And uh, uh, I think that uh, only the people that have been under rocks for a long time have missed the idea that uh, vegetables and fruit are better than junk food. Uh, there are still some people who are kind of... Uh, have some questions about that idea, um, but uh, I think most people understand that. Uh, however, uh, putting that into an operational uh, 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 sense for a, a person is, is different uh, because it requires, uh, you know, different groceries to buy, different cooking uh, techniques, so forth. But I think that changing diet and sometimes just uh, something is straightforward as not having a Coke and, you know, sugary donuts for breakfast uh, can make a, a substantial difference. Uh, and people don't think about that because they're, oh, I'm, I eat every day and my weight's normal and I'm in good shape, so I guess it's okay. Uh, I just feel crummy. Well, let's talk about this. Dr. Sindorf, thank you so much for joining us today. You've given us a wealth of information to think about. If someone is interested in contacting you with a specific question, what is the best way for them to reach you? Um, probably through my uh, uh, email, which is associated with my uh, website. Uh, and uh, do you want me to say that out loud, Kaylee? Or? Yes, ju- just give uh, us what your website is. Okay. Um, the website is www.johnsendorfmd, all one word, uh, dot com. And to spell that is? It's J-O-H-N, S is in Sam, I-N, 
D-O-R-F is in Frank, uh, M and D is in mentally deficient. com. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. My pleasure. So join us next week as we talk with Kaylee Martin about ethics for our current lives. The Be Mighty philosophy is about changing your life, one insight, one choice, one action at a time. Kaylee will be able to give us insights in how to make those changes in an ethical way. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining Kmar and D. Lee for Be Mighty, balancing your money and your time. Be sure to come back for another great show next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.